and welcome to Fine Beats and Cheeses, the podcast where we do the hippie shake shake with all of our might. I am Leslie Gray Streeter. I am a columnist for the Baltimore Banner and an author and a person who just likes stupid puns. Uh, my co-host today is, well, always is. <laughs> I was like, do you have a different one? Um, <laughs> I, am, I am Lynn Streeter Childress. I make theater for young audiences. And I realize that when people throw glasses around in a crowded bar, it just makes me nervous. <laughs> yes, yes. And so today... Our guest is Dennis Kamlick. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about you? Hey guys, uh, thank, I'm ready to do the hippie hippie shake, by the way. And I wrote that down, Leslie, as my pun, so you beat me to it. So damn you. <laughs> um, hey, thank you so much for having me. It's my privilege to be here. I'm Dennis Kamlick. Um, I am an entertainment marketer by day. And I've been uh, promoting movies and TV shows and of the ilk for the last, you know, so many years. And um, and in my daytime, in my nighttime, I um, I am the host of Back by Popular Demand, which is a pop culture podcast that's focused primarily on film and film marketing. Um, but I am thrilled to be here to talk about what I know we're about to talk about. So let's talk about it. Excellent. Um, and before we get into that, I just want to say, Dennis, how long have we known each other? We have known each other since college which we don't want to admit how many years ago that was right it was a while ago but we met, we but, met uh, what, i want to say sophomore year leslie yes yeah, sophomore year at the university of maryland college park um and we used to go to the movies together and stuff and just basically talk about things and just so we've been having an extended version of this podcast honestly for decades now so it's and I've been on uh, Dennis's podcast as well, and I was like, "Wait, this is like the same conversation we well, always." Well, first so. of all, you're downplaying it. You were the very first guest I ever had on my podcast. That's a big deal, it's Leslie. True. That's a really big it really was. And I was and I, I was like, "Are you sure?" Um, but no, it was great. And Dennis, when I wrote my book, he like looked at stuff and I shot marketing marketing ideas um, off of him, and I just said marketing. See, I've been hanging out. I've been talking to Dennis for literally like five minutes and I, and I have a New England accent now. So I've um, lived vicariously through you and that entire journey with your book and I'm super happy for you but also super jealous that uh, that wasn't uh, me getting a book deal. So I still, uh, you know, I still get those little feelings in my stomach. And I'm always telling you you should do that. So maybe by the end of this podcast you'll say, I need to write a, a book about this dumb podcast I was Let's on. Let's do it. So. And that'll be good. So, Dennis, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the 1988 masterpiece, Cocktail, directed by <laughs> Cocktail, Tom Cruise, uh, Elizabeth Shue, directed by Roger Donaldson. And uh, listen, one word comes to mind. This is a word I like to use for movies like this. Craptastic. Ah! Yes. Does that fit? It really does. So I have my definition of craptastic, but why? What is craptastic, and why is cocktail indeed craptastic? It's a, it's a movie that I think when you watch it, you know, even if you like are into film in some capacity, you know that it's not a good film, right? You know that it's not well made. You it's know not. that it's the storyline's not quite there. The script is not great. Um, performances maybe aren't the best, but like there's something about the. Uh, the brainlessness of it, right? Like there's, it's such an easy watch. It's one of those films. And I guess that's my question to both of you too. Like why, why are we drawn to films that maybe are mediocre? We know that they're mediocre <laughs> yet when they come across, you know, when you're channel surfing and you come across it late at night, you're going to put the remote down and you're going to probably commit to the end of cocktail. Why is that? Well, I will say, I think for a lot of us, because it's, it's, it's a movie from 1988. I was 17, you know, when the, the, we were probably all around that age. I know Lynn was, because if I was 17, we're twins. She was too. <laughs> um, 
Correct. Um, but there's a nostalgia, you know, there's a, I wonder what this is like. I wonder if it held up. I wonder, I mean, while you were sleeping is that movie for me, um, that when it comes on, I don't change the station. Um, it used to be the breakfast club, but now it's, it's so bad. Now you look at the breakfast club, every frame of it is so offensive that I just can't do it anymore. But, oh my Lord. But something like cocktail, which I know I saw, I think I saw in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw in the theater. And then um, I saw, seen at least once more over the years. And then I watched it again in preparation for this. But I think that it's one of those things that it's nostalgic and it makes you laugh and it makes you go, oh, I remember this. And it reminds you of a time before, for me, before I had a mortgage or um, a full-time job or cellulite or, you know, gray hair or any of that nature. Um, so I don't know. What do you think, Lynn? Do you know, I realized I don't think I've ever seen this movie all the way through what? until now. I feel like it was one of those things, one of those things that was such a cultural phenomenon that I got bits and pieces of it. Like I knew the storyline. I knew, you know, that he was a bartender and that they were throwing stuff in the air again, making 52 year old me very nervous. Um, but cause I was like, are they? Are they getting the ice out of the ice bin with glass? What are you doing? That's the first thing they tell you not to do when you work at a bar and a restaurant. What are we doing? Anyway, sorry. Um, so so there was that. So I really though don't, I was like, either I've wiped this from my memory or I really don't think I've ever seen this all the way through, even though I knew the story, I knew the tragic things that happened, I knew the plot twists but i don't think i had ever actually sat down and watched it but i think it was again it's about a time of our life and they were pretty people and yeah they were on the beach this was peak tom cruise pretty and not just pretty les and i were talking about this before we uh came on this uh recording but we were talking about how he was Hot, not just in hot as good looking, but he was hot, hot, hot and could do anything he wanted to. And so there was that cockiness to it and in him. And I think that's kind of like it brings you back to another time. That was like the going back to when you said, Leslie, about like when you where you were when you watched it. So I was 17 as well. I was working at a movie theater in Danbury, Connecticut. I was an usher. Shocker. And, uh, you know, but like, so I was forced to see a lot of movies because part of the job as an usher is like you're standing in the back when the lights go down and then when the lights go up, when people leave, you need to guide them to the exit. And then like, so like you have to go in and check the temperature every once in a while. So like I would see movies quite a bit. So I saw a cocktail in the theater just because of my job a bunch of times that summer. But I remember like when they first put the poster up in the glass case in the lobby, I guess maybe a couple of weeks mm. before it was coming, I knew that we were going to get it. And I remember the tagline. I don't if you if you both remember the tagline on the poster, it's the picture no. of Tom Cruise and, you know, he's got a, he's on the he's behind the bar, he's got a glass and mm. it says, "When he pours, he rains." But it's not not the rain as in the raining the rainstorm but the raining as in a power you know and uh the pun on words That's is wild. Uh, is just fantastic what a great tagline right i was about to say you're a professional uh entertainment marketer what do you think of that line well, i think it's terrible but it's like I, I mean but it's like but i think it also sort of fits i mean the thing the thing is that that line sort of means to me like it's something that i'm not sure if the movie delivered against that tagline is what i would say the movie's pretty you know it's pretty mediocre. It's, there's not much depth to that film. And I think that line works mm. a little bit harder than maybe the movie does. <laughs> than the movie does. 
It really is. So, uh, Dennis, if you can walk us through a little, for those of you who are listening and who are like, what is a cocktail other than the thing that I'm drinking? Um, tell me a little about what's cocktail about? What's cocktail about? So Tom Cruise, um, he's fresh out of the military. I'm not sure if they oh. ever say what branch of the military he's from, but like they the, the opening scene is he and his buddies. I guess it's like his last day or whatever, and he's about to move to New York. So they're in a, they're doing a joyride, and they're in the car, and they drop him off to a bus, and he gets on a big Greyhound, and he and he drives into New York City. But he's basically this guy who is trying to make his mark in the business world, and you know he's having a hard time trying to find something that aligns with his skill set. You know, so I think the first sequences of the movie, he's interviewing quite a bit, yeah. and he's not able to really get anywhere. And everybody's like, you need to get the experience, but he doesn't have the experience, and he can't get the job to get the experience to get the next job. So gets a little bit frustrated and I think he uh, he just stumbles into a bar it might have been a TGI Fridays if, if memory serves yes. and uh, Brian Brown the actor is Doug Coughlin who's working the bar at that moment in time and and they strike a conversation and I have a lot of thoughts about that character by the way and we'll get into that oh me too um, and like all of a sudden Brian starts working as a bartender and he gets pulled into the, the, the nightlife and he puts his career search on hold I think he starts going to school and eventually, yeah, eventually, he, was... he um, I don't want to give too much of the storyline away. If you haven't seen Cocktail, although you should have, but he eventually goes to the Caribbean and he gets a big job down there at this plush bar and he falls in love with Elizabeth Chu. Well, we're yeah. giving it all away. We're giving all of it away. Sorry, everybody. Spoilers for a movie that came out in 1988. I mean, it's a long time ago. Yeah, Let's so go. Look, come on. It's, it's fine. Yeah, so, yeah. So if you don't. This is but what's so funny when you talked about the scene when he goes to the end of all these job interviews and he's like, marketing, I, I've done marketing communication. I was in I was in the military. I can communicate. But it reminded me, though. So this was so funny. This was 1988. And one of the things that they didn't want to give him a job. One of the reasons is because he didn't go to college. Yeah. So. So what? Five years later, when we graduate from college, I think we all graduated in '93, right? I know y'all weren't going to say, but it's '93. But so thirty years ago, but we were one of the first generations who got out of job out of college with our degrees and didn't necessarily get the jobs in our field. A lot of yeah. us worked retail, so it's so funny that in that time between, oh, if you had a college degree. And then we get out and they're like, wah, wah, wah. Um, but, but, but it reminded me, though, of those, of those um, interviews that we went on where we kind of twisted. We, like, looked at our resume and said, I can communicate. Look, communications. Look, I whatever. And it, it just reminded me, like, I've been on that, uh, on that interview. But did before. you go to a, a college class where Mr. Bentley from the Jeffersons was an asshat to you and threw your resume at you, threw your paper at you. That scene, I was like, I was watching it and I heard his voice before I focused on his face. So the guy that played Mr. Bentley on the Jeffersons um, is a really terrible like thing. And it, he's not the first, first or last character in this movie where I thought that character should be in a different movie, a different, better movie. Like he was acting on this malevolent <laughs> level where you're like, what are his hopes and dreams? Had he been at Harvard and got fired in a sexual harassment scandal? You know, was he supposed to write a a, a book, the Great American Novel, and something bad happened? Because this guy hates his students for no reason other than that <laughs> he does. And if you guys don't remember the '80s, we were like 
Gen Xers who were about to go, we were watching our parents, you know, watching the whole yuppie thing and the corporate thing and the whole like greed is good thing. And then we were going to be, be the, we became the quote unquote slackers, you know, whatever it's sell out, you're selling out, whatever. So this character was like a fever dream of this to me that like this man is evil for no reason because Tom Cruise's character needs a reason to quit spoiler to quit school it's that he's being mean to this lady who's in community college and said she spent 15 years burning her husband's dinner and now she's here writing terrible papers. And Tom Cruise is like, you're an asshat and probably, you know, your hopes and dreams are dashed and that's why you're bitter and evil. And he goes, you'll get an F, an F. And he throws the paper throws at him. Yep. I'm like, lawsuit. Yep. Totally, totally Leslie abusive, uh, professor. We had Leslie. I'm not going to name names, but there was a guy um, in the College of Journalism at, at Maryland. I know you and I were both in that school. Um, we there was one advertising professor that wasn't quite at the level of this guy that we're talking about, but he was. He wasn't very pleasant. And and I remember, mm. um, I remember like even the first class of the semester. I'm like, this guy is going to be interesting. And for whatever reason, I think I struck up a conversation with him about something once. And from that day forward, he and I were like. We got along, and I and oh, and wow. I felt like all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to dodge whatever whatever bullets this guy's gonna be firing for the rest of the semester. But um, not to the level of this guy in the movie. But certainly, uh, I, I feel like yeah. it probably existed back then, maybe maybe more than it does now. But you know, going back to what you said, Lynn, I I felt like the whole interview sequence reminded me of a movie that I'm sure you both have seen that came out the year before. It was The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox. Yes. Oh yes. And um, another, I would say, craptastic um, level kind of comedy completely and, uh, brantley foster is trying to interview and he's he's fresh from kansas or something and and he's not able to get that that one for you know first job that he can just get his foot in the door you know mm -hmm. and uh it kind of reminded me of that a little bit when i watched cocktail again it that's I a great movie i'm i'm afraid to watch it because i'm afraid that there's like boobs for no reason <laughs> and no mild sexual harassment and things of that nature so i i, wa I watched it a couple of years ago either when i was sick or recovering from something um, but I've watched it probably in the last five or so years. And it was one of those things that you were like, eh, where it has a person who we just have to take the word for it that they are charismatic. Um, <laughs> um, and he, and he actually is, I love Michael. I love Michael J. Fox. And he is, that was, but it was interesting. That was like Michael J. Fox era where he was making a movie like all the time. There was always a new movie. And usually it was a scrappy fill in the blank who's trying to be, he's either trying to be in a rock band with his sister who has drug issues and, you know. So good. Nice pull, by the way. Yeah. Good one. That's a deep cut, that movie. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, Light of Day, Light right? Of day. Yes. what it was called? I love that movie. Just we around the corner to the light of day. On HBO a lot. A um, lot. What I will say is it's interesting because Lynn and I had this discussion about cocktail but literally they were making a semi-serious or at least they thought serious movie about the aspirations of a rock and roll bartender yep. that this could be true and i was like what is this like it reminded me of quicksilver um the kevin bacon movie where he's a burnt out stockbroker who decides to become not just a a bike messenger but the best bike messenger new york has ever seen he's gonna revolutionize bike messaging it's insane and it reminded me that that time was two things. So much of it was about work. It was Wall Street. It was 
Roadhouse even. It was this like, you're going to transcend either this thing you were meant to be and no one understands it, or you're going to not do this thing that everybody wants you to be. And it's just nuts. But Lynn was also saying that, it, like she said before, that this was a time where Tom Cruise could have done anything he wanted and did the bartender movie. And it's bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, Lynn, I was going to get back to what you said at the start. And, and, and Leslie, I even wrote it down. Like, this is coming off of Top Gun, right? So Top Gun comes out in 86. Right. He is a massive global movie star after that film. And he was already on the way. But certainly, Top Gun is basically, you know, Tom Cruise's arrival. He goes and does a really yeah. under underrated Martin Scorsese film, The Color of Money. He does that. Actually, so good. that came out the same year as Top Gun. It came out that fall. Then he does Cocktail. Then uh -huh. he does Rain Man. And then he does yes. Born on the Fourth of July with Oliver Stone. So what movie stands out in those five films? It's Cocktail. And it's, it's like, <laughs> and I know I looked up a thing. Uh, Tom Cruise recently admitted that Cocktail is not his crowning jewel. And it's, you know, yep. it's got to be like a movie that he looks back at his IMDb and he's not probably particularly proud of. And it, I would have loved to have found out like what the thought process was about why he decided to choose that vehicle. I had the exact same, Leslie, didn't I ask you the same thing? You that did. I would love to, I'd love to sit down with, I was thinking about him, but um, any actor or whatever and say, like, why did you pick the movies that you picked? Not like, why did you pick that movie? Well, maybe, but, but more of like, what was your thought process? Was this something that you were committed to before something else came out? Right. Because, you know, 80, because if it was, Made in 88, it came out, it was made in 87-ish, right? So when did you sign the contract? Did you, had you already signed this and you had to make it anyway or, right? Like that kind of thing. Did you make it because you thought it was sort of a departure? So what's funny is, and I know we're going to go back to talking about the plot of the movie, but what's interesting is that we talked about him being in Jamaica. Um, I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where we did The Firm and it was so interesting. So that was Tom Cruise. Four, five years after, so the firm was 93, this was 88. Uh, so not long after it, but it was very interesting about people being on the beach because nefarious things happen on the beach in the firm mm -hmm. um, when they go to the Caribbean. And I was, I don't know, I was like, I just feel like I've seen this movie, but it's not this movie. It's a different and I th movie. And you know? listen, I think based on some of the research I've done on cocktail, because I, I went down the rabbit hole a little bit over the last several weeks because that's what I do. But like Haywood Gold, who's the screenwriter, he was a... A, yes. a really well-known writer from the 70s. He's written, a, you know, at least written or co-written a bunch of um, popular scripts from, from back in the 70s. So he was a, a pretty acclaimed right. journalist. And I think, I think from what I read, the original script of Cocktail, going back to what you just said, Leslie, about, you know, the rock and roll bartender and that whole, that mm -hmm. whole like, culture, I guess. I think the film originally was going to be much darker. I think there was actually a, mm. Brian Brown even said something to the effect of like, it was one of the best screenplays I've ever read about the cult of celebrity and everything about it. And I think when Cruz got involved, my guess is because this was a Disney touchstone release that they probably, mm. you know, coming off of Top Gun, coming off of Color of Money, they needed to market this thing a certain way. It's a summer popcorn movie and they probably dialed mm -hmm. down a lot of the, maybe the better elements of that script and really focused on on stuff that's made it what I call craptastic, right? Just like that, the love story and the Jamaica and the soundtrack and all the things that make that movie pop certainly probably weren't the vision. No, and it was based, I noticed that, that it was based on his book. Yep. He wrote the book and the screenplay. Right. And it's interesting, like I said, I would love to find out like what, like you said, what changes, obviously the word changes, but like what happened 
and and what went into that. So so like we said, so at the beginning of the movie, he gets out of I was gonna say prison, but it was prison. He gets <laughs> out of um, the military. He has these big ideas. He has a book about making millions. That's what he says. He goes to his uncle's yeah, bar. Yeah. Uncle Pat, and he's, you know, trying to work there, not doing well. Uh, well, he's like, you know, I wouldn't be here, whatever. And then, like you said, he winds up in Brian Brown's bar. Um, and they, you know, start working together. And then there's this, I don't remember what happens first, but basically at first he's horrible. But then he, he's not he, a good bartender. He's not a good bartender. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Very overwhelmed. And and it's a funny thing when someone said, I just wanted this drink. And he goes, what's in that? <laughs> that was very, very was funny. Yeah. Been there. Um, but what's interesting, like I've never bartended, but I uh, waited tables. I did dinner theater. Um, and so a lot of things. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I hate to ask you, but what did you ask for again? Um, mm-hmm. But was so, uh, la, 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 la. somehow he hits his stride. And he becomes very popular, and he and Brian Brown start doing sort of tricks. They start doing it's flair. It's called oh, it's flair. It's yeah. flair. They start doing bartending tricks where they're tossing stuff behind their back and they're shaking, and it's like a music. It's like a routine. If it's you, like they do it to music. If you had covered uh, bar culture and pop culture in the two thousands, you would know, as I do that there are competitions for this thing to this day. There are flair bartending competitions and and they always go, all right, go ahead and ask me the cocktail question. Go ahead and talk about hippie hippie shake, whatever. Cause it's gonna happen. Cause those of us who were that old are like, this is like cocktail, right? And, and don't and don't think during that summer, Leslie, at the movie theater, when I was the usher, I would have to work at the concession stand from time to time. Don't <gasps> think for a minute that we didn't flip soda cups back and forth, just like the guys yeah, in the movie. We absolutely did that. Well, okay. and just like Lynn is That's talking about the fact that she doesn't even think that she's seen this movie all the way through, but she knows that reference. We Until today, to, yeah. We used to go to a bar in 1992 in Cincinnati called Cocktails and Dreams. <laughs> we did? Wasn't that when there were that was? Yeah. Wasn't that where, I, I know I have memory of going to a bar called Cocktails and Dreams. Was it not there? Was it somewhere else? Do I don't know? And maybe it wasn't there. It was somewhere. I have gone to a bar well, called Cocktails and Dreams and understood that it was interesting. That where we where we went in Cincinnati was La Boom, owned by Boomer Esiason, a great University of Maryland quarterback. Um, yeah. Where they and also he had, had this a, a Chippendale named Lance who would be in the ladies' room in the lounge and make you on drink. ladies' night. Yes, that was a whole thing. Um, was that sanitary, Lynn? Was it sanitary? It, w- it was completely not sanitary. <laughs> and I had a good friend who was a guy who was like, why don't they have, you know, women in the wind's bathroom? Like, because that's gross and they will get attacked. So we're not doing that. We're not doing that. But it was, um, what was I going to say, though, about the whole theme thing? It reminded me of, you're talking about bars. Uh, and we used to go to the Baja Beach Club in Fort Lauderdale. Mm. Um, where they would have the, this is 94, yep. uh, 93, 94, and they would have stages where they would have people uh, who work there acting out the songs. Like they would have someone pretending to be like Frank Sinatra and they sing, sing in New York, New York. And they had these two guys 
doing two princes by spin doctors where one of them, they both had on, on crowns and then they would get back off the thing and bartend. But that reminded me of this though, of like numbers. They had uh, Brian Brown and Tom Cruise's characters have numbers that they do their bartending to. And it becomes very, 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 very popular. And um, like you said, he, Leslie, he, Tom Cruise's character, who is, what's Brian his name? Flanagan. Brian. I kept wanting his name to be Doug, even though Brian Brown was Doug, because he was Doug in another movie. What movie was he Doug in, Leslie? I'm going to look it up. I'm gonna I don't know. Up. But I will say, it's inter- first of all, I am not Irish-American, but I watched this movie, and it seemed like the most stereotypical, like, am I wrong? You're you're Irish, right? I have a lot of Irish in me, sure. Yes. So, what were you? Did you pick up on like the stereotypes? It's his uncle. It's a bar and whatever, and they talk about being Irish a lot and they drink a lot. And I was like, what is happening? Yeah, I mean, I sort of grew up at that, so I guess I, it never really dawned on me that that would be something that somebody would would pick up. I guess maybe because I am Irish, that's just sort of like what you just what, <laughs> what you know and believe as as a kid. But I think you know, going back to what you said, Lynn. I mean, they become, basically become rock stars, right? Because they they have their numbers. Yes. They start doing their their sequences to Robert Palmer. I think it's Addicted to Love and right. And, and, and I think they even get approached by some rich guy at the bar, and he's like, I want you guys in my bar. I'll pay top dollar. And they don't they get like a job at some like bar downtown that looks like a prison or something like. Yes, it's a it's jail. Jail theme. theme. That's and right. Yes. Yep. So there's this moment. And this, <laughs> you know, you're wild. talking about the, the script that I guess they thought they were making and then the script they wound up making. But there are moments where now that I know this, that I can see these things like there's a guy. It's the 80s. And it's around the time of like. Wall yep. Street. And so there's a guy who's like the yuppie poet. Yep. And he's at this bar. You're supposed to understand this bar. This jail theme bar is terrible. And they're selling out. They're doing it for the money. So this guy he looks like your typical yuppie. He's got glasses and a good suit. And he's standing on the steps in the bar, which has, it looks like a jail. And it's got these like, you know, metal stairways that go up. And he's on the bar. He's surrounded by people. And he's saying this terrible poem, and you don't know if he means it or not, if he's serious or not, if he understands that it's terrible. And so then <laughs> Tom Cruise's character makes up, like, a barman's poem. But then they carry that motif forward so much in the film. It's like, do they remember they were making fun of it? Do they remember that this is a thing that we're supposed to be stupid? Um, and it just, like I said, just crystallizes so much what you're saying that it was different. And so I have so much to say about Brian Brian Brown's character. Brian Brown, as you know, if you don't know, um, brilliant um, Australian actor, character actor, I think could have been a leading man, but he was just a little scuzzy. Like his character's always slightly scuzzy, good looking, right. better looking than Tom Cruise, honestly, for me, just dashing, um, but always played people who were just a little shady or a lot shady and shady so what were your your <laughs> notes on on the brian brown character yeah, so well well explained um douglas coglin is his name right and yes. um and i wrote down how he refers to himself as a logical negativist um flourished in the last part of the 20th century propounded a set of laws the world generally ignores to its detriment i mean this is a guy like i actually think doug coglin is one of the great film characters of the 80s i mean i Mm-hmm. I, I love the character more than I love Cocktail. But, like, he's got these, and, you know, I know you watched the movie again recently, they prepare for today, but Coglin's Laws, and he throws out these, like, these Jedi yes. Master right. 
um, you know, life lessons to Brian, and then Brian sort of just like guzzles and drinks the Kool Aid on it. But like, I wrote a, yeah. I wrote a couple of them down. I don't do a good Brian Brown, but it's like he's like, drink or be gone. That's one. Um, mm -hmm. Anything else is always something better. Never show mm -hmm. surprise. Never lose your cool. Um, never tell tales about a woman, no matter how far she is, she'll hear you. And then this is my favorite. Yeah. This is my favorite one. Bury the dead; they stink up the joint. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it, it, the thing about this character is that, and I'd said this before, it seemed like, I'm once again not surprised that the script was changed because there were so many characters, particularly this one, that seemed like they were part of a better movie that I wish that yes. I had seen. exactly right. Because Brian Brown was acting his butt off. Every time you saw him, there was this, cel he was a jerk, but he wasn't two-dimensional. He was ten-dimensional. He was self-loathing, but... He, he wanted to be a part of the good time. He was very honest about the fact that he, say, marries his wife for her money. Um, he was very, that he thought he would have peaked as a bartender. Explain that to me. Um, but he is jealous of Tom Cruise's character. There's a moment where Gina Kershaw playing an early girlfriend of Tom Cruise's who is a photographer wants to shoot a picture of Tom Cruise, but she says, hey, you know, Doug, can you get out of the picture? I just want to shoot... Um, uh, what's Brian. his name? Brian. Brian. Um, so <laughs> it's and they they show that and Brian Brown is an excellent enough actor that you can see the the shades of this, and so he's right. playing a movie about what you're talking about, Dennis. He's playing a movie about celebrity culture and about right. the right. part right. of your personality mm. that you make mm. your um your personality, your part of personality that you make being famous, being big, being rich, being bold, and right. how that impacts on who you actually are. And so he was doing Shakespeare, and everyone else was doing Pee-wee's... Well, not even Pee-wee's Playhouse. Pee-wee's Playhouse was good. Everyone else was doing, like, some bad, like, cable show. Um, and it was okay, too, because they really just wanted Tom Cruise at that point. If Tom Cruise could make that movie, right? What Gus was going to say is that there are huge swaths of the movie that Brian Brown is not in. Yep. And when he shows back up, so what happens is you talk about Gina Gershon. Um, Gina Gershon uh, has ideas. Well, cause basically Tom Cruise and I'm just calling Tom Cruise. I'm sorry. Tom Cruise and Brian Brown are going to start this bar. Like you said, cocktails and dreams. And they have these ideas of how they're going to do it. And Gina Gershon, who's very rich, has ideas and, and, and successful, whatever. An actual successful yep. person. Right. And she owns her own brownstone and has all these ideas of things. And Brian Brown gets uh, jealous. And because he's like, you can't trust her. I bet you there's all these things with bets, right? I bet you that she's going to be screwing somebody else very sh shortly, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he actually propositions her and tells him everything that Tom Cruise has said about her in bed. And uh, even though it was more than that, he really cared about her. He did. And, Coral. and Coral. Coral. And she says, you're not going to be a success because I'm out because you shouldn't tell your buddies about me and things about me that we did in private. And um, so Tom Cruise like, I'm quitting. And he goes to Jamaica. Like they had talked about going to Jamaica and he goes there anyway. Uh, again, not starting his own business yet, but he's like, I just need to get out of here and I need to sort of like start the dream. So then you don't see Brian Brown for a while and then he shows back up to Jamaica after he's gotten married. But I felt like 
you were talking about him being in a different movie. He literally was somewhere else in a different movie and not in this one. It's almost like he was filming that with Kelly Lynch because Kelly Lynch is amazing. And then oh, you know, is it plays his wife and then shows back up. Drugstore Cowboy, one of the best movies I've ever seen. And to my... 30 years later, 30-some years later, it's still in my head. But anyway. Also, um, her body was so insane. that The first time you see her, and he's saying, oh, I married this woman. That bathing suit. He, he goes, I married this woman, and basically married her for money. So you're expecting that she's going to be, like, older or um, unattractive. And she turns around, and she's wearing, she's got washboard on washboard on washboard abs. And she's wearing this white bikini. It was sick. It was sickening. And I'm like. Who wouldn't want her if she worked at Dairy Queen? I would marry her, and I'm a straight woman. He's like, he's like, he's like, um, come hither, and she comes over, and then he's like, here's the kicker: she's got millions, and uh, that was like how he, like, how he. She could it. have yeah. 0.222 cents, and you'd be like, that woman is fine. So it just there was there was a scene, and this is about the 80s. This is about the 90s. This is about culture that understand how gross it was or did and didn't care where there he's writing brian is writing his obituary and he says brian you know uh whatever his name is flanagan died at 97 in bed with his 18 year old fourth wife (laughs) and i'm like that's disgusting because that's the kind of thing that's funny because and and those guys would have thought that was funny but also it wasn't a, a thing like you're watching it's always sunny going you're supposed to understand these guys are dirtbags you're supposed to in 1998 think that a funny aside about 1988 a funny aside about a 90 year old having dying during sex with an 18 year old who was his wife who was still recovering stop it Stop it. Because really, you're Anna Nicole Smith, and you're the old dude she married, and stop it. You know, and so it just... You know, it's know. funny. Like, I think if you go back and look at look at these two characters over time, right? When you're 17 watching Cocktail, you're supposed to love Brian Flanagan. He's the, he's the protagonist. Right. It's Tom Cruise. He's a movie star. You know, you want to see this guy succeed. You root for him. He's, yes. he's fairly one note. He's not very good at what he does. He gets good when he goes to the Caribbean, and he meets um, uh, Elizabeth Shue there. But, like... You know, so you root for him at that point at 17, but now through the eyes of a 52-year-old, me now, like I want to see that movie about Brian Brown. That's the character. That's the movie I'm interested in, and that's like his character. Doug is like he's got dimension, he's got depth, he's very, he's sort of transparent about what he wants, but you almost respect it because he's very like he's got that like this is what I want. I want money, and I want to like hustle and like meet somebody, right? And like and just be rich. And I, there's just a lot of there's a lot of layers to that, and I think they just ignored those layers and they they told a different story, you know? Because. I, I, I- and what was the story? That's the question. Is is what what was the story? What, was what were story, you supposed man? to? But like you said, you were supposed to like him, like you said, because you were he was Tom Cruise in hot peak Tom Cruise era. So I was gonna say, I know you're gonna say something, Leslie. He gets down to Jamaica and he works for this bar and he meets Elizabeth Shue, whose friend has drunk too much in the sun. And yes, rookie mistake. Gonna... Yes. Yeah. And he goes and gets the doctor because she's she's passed out on the beach or something like that, right? So then that's how he, you know, he and Elizabeth Chu started having a kind of had a connection, right? Okay, I'm right. going raise your hands. Anyone who's ever made out with somebody on vacation that you just met? Is it just me? Okay, great. But I have. <laughs> so I, I will say in in Mexico, 
Um, yeah, I just made out with this dude that I met. It was fun. It was Mexico. He left. It was fine. Nothing happened. It was whatever. But those relationships are not supposed to do anything or last. You just meet a guy. Although he did show up the next day. His his friend, it wasn't him. It was his friend showed up on the boat cruise we were on the next day. We are like, dang it. And reality happens when you're sober. Um, it was all terrible. But... Um, <laughs> It was, but I'm watching this movie going because the movie, once again, the script can't decide whether he's just this guy who's living his life. And I resented the Caribbean being presented as just a place where white people can go and figure out their stuff and who cares about the black people who live there. But that you go and do this and that none of this happens and then he meets Elizabeth Shue and then the script can't decide if he's serious about her and he really loves her. Or if she's just part... Once again, the dark script would have been... He was always using her. He he deluded himself that he really loved her. And then things happen, and then she gets hurt because he was always going to pick this other thing. Um, It's the Bud Fox of it all, you know? But this script wants him to be a good guy and wants you to believe and invest in his good guyness while also allowing him to do other things that are not good guy all in the same sphere. And it's just maddening because it's making the audience do too much work to absolve this yeah, I guy. Think, I think the, the pivot in the film is when, going back to what you asked, Lynn, I think it's when she reveals that she's actually wealthy and that her family lives on Park Avenue. So you don't know that about Elizabeth Shue when you first meet her. She's just on vacation and, she, you know, she might be, you know, you know, she might have a good job, but you're not quite sure how successful, mm-hmm. how rich he is. But at that point of the film, Brian is very much like 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 Doug. Like he's been he's again, he's like going to Doug's curriculum. He's 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 reading his book, right? He's reading his chapters about success right. and making money and all that sort of stuff. So Brian's really driven and motivated and thinks that that's what he needs in his life. So he meets this woman, yep. falls in love with her, but not quite sold on her yet because he doesn't know that much about her professionally. And it, it, I think he starts to turn when he realizes maybe not for the right reasons, but when he realizes is that she's um, wealthy she comes from money in New York like I think almost sudden he starts to like oh wow this is this might be a good thing for me right and like it's it's not a well, good side of him it's a bad side of him no so. but but actually he doesn't realize that she's rich until after she's yeah, left because yeah, yeah. because he goes so what happens yeah. is is that um, Doug shows up basically is goading him he says you're the proletariat you're never going to be your worker you're not a boss you're just going to be working and working and like between the difference between like hustling and working or whatever yep. blah, 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 which are kind of the same thing but what else but um but, but basically you're just going to work and you're never going to really get anywhere because that's not who you are so he bets him because everyone knows that brian brown married his wife for the money so he bets him that basically you can't pull a rich woman. And that was the thing about Tom Cruise is like, well, how come you, I get like the, I forgot the word he used, but you get princesses. Cause he mentions the, your blonde friend. So he's talking he very chippy. Dis- he calls her chippy. chippy. Yes. He calls her chippy. So very disrespectfully. And there's no, nothing played under it. Like we don't see him saying, and Tom Cruise is a great actor, right? Yes. I am one of the people who real, who thinks that, he should have had an Oscar. He should have won the Oscar for Rain Man because our, our late father loved Tom Cruise so much. He saw he, for some reason, did not care for Cameron Diaz as an actor. And when Night and Day came out, I go, "What you gonna do, Daddy? What you gonna do?" He goes, "I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna be mad about it." 
And so he went and saw this movie. He loved. He would have. He followed Tom Cruise into a Cameron Diaz movie, which says so much about his a lot. Um, his, his love of him because he portrayed Tom Cruise to him was this earnest guy who was trying. And I think it was Rain Man was the movie where he first saw where he was right. Like, this guy who thinks he's one thing. He's comfortable being a sleaze ball, and then he his heart is triggered by his brother, and he doesn't like it. But he still manages to. To get there, Charlie Babbitt. It's the more challenging. Right. So in that movie, no doubt. Yeah. Completely. And so in that movie, in Rain Man, you see this sort of like um, not just in the script, but in the acting, you see the conflict that he's having. Like he may say one thing, but you see on his face and in his body language that maybe he's rethinking it. He has this whole conversation with Brian Brown where he calls. Elizabeth Shue a chippy and you get the princesses and he's like well you can't pull that rich woman over there and he does this he does it but there's no conflict there's no conflict he never once says well I shouldn't do this because Mm -hmm. I'm kind of with this other woman because she and he talks about it later she talks about having a family or whatever because they're like hanging out and whatever so I think that kind of spooked him but but it was so whatever was in the script was was missing where there was any kind of like decision he goes and he gets involved with this woman this rich woman and elizabeth she sees it and she leaves so when he goes looking for her the next day after he slept with this other woman her friend is like oh she went back to new york where does she live park avenue and that's when he was like whoa yeah, light bulb mm. yeah it was that Absolutely. yeah that, i guess that was that was it you keep talking about can't get, forget it you keep going back to i keep going back to what you said dennis about the script and about Brian Brown saying it was such a good script is that that was one of my thoughts is there was so much I felt that was missing that they, it seemed like there were chunks of character development or character motivation that were non-existent. Exactly. So in the movie, so Elizabeth Shue character, Elizabeth Shue's character leaves and he winds up as the boy toy of this older woman. And it, once again, I look back now at 52 and go, this woman was probably supposed to be younger than me. And that did not feel great. But <laughs> this woman, like, he's in her home that she is paying for. And he keeps saying, pitch me for business, nebulous business things. It's like, to, to, um, Rory and Michelle, I'm a business lady. I don't know what that means, but I'm a business lady. So he's a business dude. And he's like, pitch me for things, pitch me for things. And this is once again where the what's the movie supposed to be thing comes in because he's in bed in her home in her very 80s mirrored bed frame and she is doing aerobics in bed. And he's pissed that she woke him up. I'm like... Blankety blank, you're in her house. You're the boy toy. You're the you're the bed. She's she's using him. She's using him in that whole sequence, right? I mean, it sort of feels like it for certain. She has certain needs, certain reasons. Certain reasons, but it's like that's the decision they made, and so he's mad that he doesn't get to to control anything. It's like it's her house. She gets to decide if she's doing aerobics in the bed in the in the in the bedroom in the middle of the day. So he gets mad. So he's clearly telegraphing this is bad. So. For no other reason than to blow it up, he goes to an arts installation with her and gets in a fight with the with the artist. Yep. And it's even it's in 
it's lazy. It's like it's supposed to be about capitalism. He goes, "Where's the cockroach or the cockroach or whatever?" And the guy punches him. He's drunk. Guy punches him. I'm like, "This is the lastestly written." And I'm a writer. Dennis is a writer. Lynn's a writer. The most lazily written fight I've ever seen. It's like they couldn't even like come up with a good reason for that fight. They're like, "And eh, you like cockroaches? Whatever, go." Yeah, I wrote. I wrote Leslie. I was like the white on we're talking about the white on white men crime in this movie. There was the so crime. much white guys just punching each other and <laughs> pushing each other around and grabbing people. Oh, I remember like they. I after was that like, fight, this... I think one the, the artist calls him drunk and Cruz responds and he says, "You're ugly," which is terrible writing. And then they so he and the woman they go out <laughs> to the sidewalk, right? And you can tell that they're going to have their fight and they're about to end the relationship, and they do. And she says something like, "I don't want I don't want this to end badly," and he says something like. Um, everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. And then she sort of like walks off, walks off down the sidewalk, right? And I think that's when he, he's like, now what do I do? You know, I'm gonna go try to find Elizabeth Chu and see what she's up to. And she's working at Jerry's, Jerry's Deli, right? <laughs> okay, so Lynn is very mad about the scene. Tell, him, tell me why, girl. Oh, so he goes to find her because she's told him where she's where he's work where she works on her job by the way right he goes up on her job he sits there he goes oh waitress and she goes what do you do the whole what are you doing here if i had a a nickel for every time somebody in this movie said what are you doing here it was funny so anyway he's (laughs) exactly so he's like pretty much um so she's like, what are you doing here? And I don't want whatever. This is over. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving until I talk to you. And it was so crazy. Well, I just want to apologize that he had the nerve, the unmitigated gall, because that was the crazy part, too. Oh. Is that, and I, again, I'm thinking about the firm in a way, well, the, more the book than the movie, is that he's cheated on her, but he doesn't have confirmation until that moment that she knows. Because she says, I saw you. I saw you in that other woman and his face fell because he was like, oh, crap. I wasn't going to mention that. He was basically going to let her believe Mm -hmm. that everything was great. And now months later, I guess it was. Right. She was wrong for leaving and he had no idea why she was. And he told her, like, he he, he even said something like you were coming on too strong, too fast, which which wasn't wasn't the case whatsoever. Didn't seem like. Right. He he makes. No, it wasn't. She mentioned babies, but he didn't go ill. Babies. You know, it, it, so it was this very like, I'm going to talk to you because I'm going to talk to you and you're going to listen to me. Now I have a the dream girls and you and you, you're going to love me. It's what I have in my head. It was kind of like, you're going to listen to me. And yes. and, and then she pours the food on him. Yep. She goes, you want to eat? Then pour somebody else's food for the poor chef. The poor cook in the back at this diner making two dollars an hour who's made someone else's food and she pours it on tom cruise and then the other people like that was my steak was my steak on his head and also the chicken a la king it's such an 80s movie who makes chicken a la king who orders that at the diner who gets that for anyway it's like you deserve to get it in the in the boiling bag right we used to get the boiling the boil bag and and make chicken a la king but yeah it was but it was just very much like um wild that he was demanding it and then when she said um, that, no, I saw you and this other woman, and and I think that's when she tells him that she's yeah, pregnant. Yeah, because he's like, he's like oh, she I, goes, I, I got can... spooked, right? And then she's like, I bet you I can spook you again. And he's like, no way. Mm-hmm. And then she tells him that she's she's pregnant with his child, right? 
Right. And it goes, I'm, oh, that does spook me. But there was a lot of, and it will go into the next part, but there was a lot of people who didn't deserve to make demands making demands mm-hmm. in this book. And it's very much a product of this time <laughs> where we look, and Gen X, we had some really bad, um, you know, role models pop culturally. Like, people look at, like, Saturday Night Fever, which I didn't under- understand until the 90s, was a movie about drunk people and date rape. I didn't get it because it's like Tony Monero, he's doing his thing. He's the disco king. It's like, and the date rape. You're like, oh, it's terrible. And the bad things they say about women they don't find attractive. Okay. And the suicide. What's happening? And so you take that into your John Benders and your Ferris Bueller's and your manipulative white dudes who just, and you just accept that they're cool because someone said they were. And you don't identify with the characters who are really more like you, who are the people without power. So then four or five years later comes this character, which once again was not a super iconic character like Maverick. Maverick, who honestly learns over now we know 40 years that his he's retrograde, that he has to change, that things have to, to be different. But we just accept it, lock, sock, and barrel, that the way to get a woman was to stalk her. And a way to get a woman was to say, I don't appreciate your agency. And when Elizabeth Shue's character says, wide-eyed, by the way, I'm rich. And yes, I'm having a kid. I don't need you for anything. You've already shown that you're not reliable. And he's like, I'm a good guy. It's like, what are you? Um, Because he's shown that he wasn't. And I think that we were not taught at our age to really believe that it wasn't a good guy just because he was cute in the story of the movie. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, there, there weren't a lot of likable elements to his character. And now that what the three of us are sitting here talking about it, it it's an interesting role for him to choose because it's not, it's not, Cruz doesn't yes. do these kinds of characters anymore. He's, he's mm-hmm. very one note, like it or not, you know, his, his characters are invincible and they don't have a lot of flaws. And Ethan Hunt, he's made a whole, he's made a whole career out of that. Right. But like before that, I wish Cruz did more roles like this. And that's my biggest, like, what's well, it? Like Frank Mackey. Yeah, Frank Mackey. From Magnolia. Yeah. Where yeah. you, every once in a while he makes a movie. <laughs> Or like less less Grossman, um, in Tropic Thunder. Every once in a while, he reminds you that he's an excellent actor. Yeah, Collateral. And you, his oh, work in Collateral. Collateral. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Yep. Well, you, you know, what's so funny is that I was having a conversation with Leslie before this, um, where we were talking about Tom Cruise when he was on Oprah, the big like jumping on the couch thing. So there's a there's a. Um, a podcast called You're Wrong About. Do you know You're Wrong About? And they did, did where they talk about cultural phenomenon or whatever that people remember one way, but but really happened another way. And um, they talked, there was an episode about the Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch incident and about how basically because it was um, pre-YouTube, that people kind of edited what happened, that he jumped on the couch because I he or Oprah make a comment earlier in the interview about him being so happy about somebody being happy that they jump on the couch. So then when he mentions Katie Holmes, he jumps on the couch because it's a throwback yeah. to that uh, to that thing. But that's not the way that it's been received. 
shown is, is that now we think he was just so crazy that out of nowhere and he appalled Oprah, he jumps on the couch. But it totally referred to something else. But the reason I brought up this whole long thing is because you talked about him making certain different sorts of movies. Because he was so stung by the way that that went, he has not really done romantic movies, romances since then. Yeah. He is, his bread and butter, he did Night and Day, but that was an action movie. His, his movies might have romantic things in them, but he's not making any more purely romantic movies. He kind of decided to stick to uh, action movies because that was safe. And either he ran, he does a Tom Cruise run, as we call it, and then things blow up and they don't blow up. And maybe there's a woman and maybe there's not and whatever. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the Mission Impossible movies. Michelle Monaghan's character is supposedly dead. And and we see her, but they don't really have, because he can't really be with her because... the, his enemies think she's dead. So all that to say is that I was saying, Leslie, that one of the reasons why supposedly he doesn't make romantic movies or movies that have a certain kind of depth or whatever and just pretty much sticks to action movies supposedly is because of that Oprah incident because mm-hmm. he was like, I'm not going to let myself be vulnerable like that in a role Which because is, that thing blew that's up. too bad because he really is a good actor and he really, although yes, I mean, the Ethan Hunt character has moments where it's usually based on the death or near death of someone that he loves that's been in the movie for eight, like 87 of the movies and they die or get you think they're dead or whatever and you get really sad. But he has, and this is not about Scientology and it's not about any of these things. It's about the fact that this guy is a really good actor and he commits a lot to these things and I wish he did more stuff. I wish he did more things. And like, and I, and I, I would be interested, like I said, to have conversations. There's a book coming out um, next Tuesday, which will be later than this episode comes out, but there's a book coming out um, called Burn It Down that's by a, a, a author who's a writer, uh, journalist, Maureen Ryan, and she writes about several... Do you know about this book, no. Dennis? You're going to love this. She writes about... There's an excerpt from her chapter, A Lost, about the tire fire that was the writer's room and the casting and just the the set of lost and she does sleepy hollow which is a thing that i will be mad about for the end of my till the rest of i will die being mad about sleepy hollow and she writes about all of these shows that were at least for a while prestige or interesting television and about what went wrong and so i would love to have someone go back to the cock to cocktail and say what did you think you wrote yeah (laughs) <laughs> and what what did you think about the thing that didn't happen? I remember reading this thing about the guy who wrote the book that about Schmidt was raised, was based on. And by the time the movie was written, it had nothing to do with the story. They just basically bought the title. And he had to decide he was okay with the money that he made. Because the movie that he made, the book that he wrote, was never going to be made. It was. They just said, at the end of the day, we just like your title. Sorry. And they were like, are you okay with it? And I'm, you know, in development with the, a book that I wrote, and it's still ongoing. You know, writer striker still striking, and we'll see if it ever happens. But I had to decide at some point that it was what it was, you know. Um, I hope that it's great if it ever gets made. But, like, to this guy, you know, the guy who wrote Cocktail, the thing that Cocktail was based on, was he, like, was he okay with it? Was he okay with the fact that, like, it seemed like 50 scripts shoved together and then they go you know what we'll just let tom cruise be tom cruise and everything else just like show up say a line or don't we don't care we're getting paid 
Well, and, and, and it worked, crazy. right? Because the movie the movie made almost eighty million dollars, you know, just uh, in in the U.S. So it obviously was a success. Wow. Like, like Tom Cruise, going back to what you said about his career, I and mean, that guy, talk about a career that's been carefully crafted and carefully coordinated oh, yes. to the point that it's almost like obsession. He knows exactly what he's doing and what he will or will not do. I mean, there's no there's no other actor that I, that can do a a two minute. Welcome back to movie theaters piece that ran right before Top Gun Maverick opened in the theaters last summer. Like, and he's welcoming everybody back and he's been credited for like sort of saving Hollywood this past year. Right. And that's like wow. Tom Cruise sort of deserves that given the quality of Top Gun Maverick and how much he throws himself to your point into his films, his, his tireless work ethic, all that stuff's really impressive. Um, and I enjoyed Top Gun Maverick, but I, 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 wish, I just wish Cruise did more like, you know, he did Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick. He did. Michael, he did Michael Mann and Collateral. Like, I just wish he took some more of those right. chances like PTA and Magnolia. And again, he's done it. He's done he's done films with all those major filmmakers. But I just wish like Cruz's older, older years w would be that as opposed to just what? more Mission Impossible films, which are really entertaining. But they're just like, so, you know, I, I would love something more. To me, I felt like Top Gun Maverick was his Unforgiven. Yeah. It was his saying, I understand the toxicity of the characters that I played. I understand what I have done to build up this toxic archetype. I understand that because it also, Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt is a guy who's like a thousand years old. He's got to be 60, right? And he's still jumping off planes, doing stuff. But Bruce Willis at 40 played a character who was conscious of the fact that his back hurt and his knees hurt and John McClane was going to die. And he felt his invincibility in that moment, and I felt because he had a wife that he loved that he was trying to get back together with and kids, and he said, please, God, don't let me die and die hard. So the to me, the, the that was one of the things. We watch that movie every Christmas, my son and I, because we're weird, and because it's this moment where this man is understanding his mortality. And so to me, in Top Gun Maverick, I saw a very rare modern Tom Cruise humanity <laughs> moment where his character was saying, they go come back to Top Gun. He goes, yeah. They go, no, as a teacher. And he has this moment where he has to go, oh crap, my Tom Skerritt now. And he is, you're Tom Skerritt <laughs> now. Right. And yeah. and it was beautiful was because he accepted it. And I thought, I mean, I don't use the word brave a lot for millionaires who make movies, but, but there, at least in terms of his own iconography, there's a moment where Maverick or Tom Cruise or both says, I'm confronting the fact that I'm old. Yeah. I'm confronting the fact that when they say, who cares about the mock program? Because we're going to replace you guys all with robots anyway. Nobody, we're scrapping it because we don't care anymore. Every, this thing that you've spent 30, 40 years trying to beat, you beat it. Good for you. Clap, clap, clap. Nobody cares. And it was just a weird, it was a moment of vulnerability that at least, if not Tom Cruise, at least Maverick got to play that I was really like surprised about um so my son and i still have not watched top gun because there's too much sex in it and i i'm tired of you know having to fast forward things so we'll see it at some point uh, let, me, but, let me ask you this Liz, because i, I want to bring it back to cocktail for a minute because listening to this has been a great conversation so i guess we've we've certainly the three of us found a lot of the the flaws of the film right um in the movie yeah. the movie won four Golden Raspberries. I wanted to make sure I talked about this. It won, it won, it won the, the Razzie for uh, Worst Actor for Cruz, Worst Director for Roger Donaldson. It won the Razzie for Worst Picture and Worst Screenplay. So what, given that, right, why do we enjoy the movie the way we do? 
there's something about the idea of not just even now, but certainly in the eighties of the everything is dreary. It's all about work. It's all about go, go, go achieve, achieve, achieve. So this escapism once again, which was devoid of any black people who were escaping and they were only there to serve you and sing reggae meaningfully in bars. But so (laughs) I I saw it differently because my parents, like I told to Lynn in 1982, they went to Jamaica. I've been to Jamaica several times as a, um, as a tourist between like 2005 and now 2006 now. And there's always, you know, that's black people go to the Caribbean, but like there was never a presentation that we were a part of this luxury class that got to go and do this thing. So having said that, there's something, if you put that aside and stop wanting to beat people up about that, there's this, <laughs> there's an escapist thing. There's a, you get to right. like be day drunk and you get to exactly like right. be on the beach. And because you're, the whole point of that was getting Brian and Doug and Elizabeth Shue's character away from their lives, so their lives were not where they were, and so I think there's something. To me, I like it. I well, the movie is weird. It's not a great movie. We've discussed that. We know yep. that. But I enjoyed it because there was something about the the realization that eventually you go back to your life, and eventually, and you make the best of that life. That's that's what I think it is. I think because so what happens is sort of sum up the end of the movie is that. Um, uh, he goes to Elizabeth Shue's house, penthouse, whatever. Her father's like, yeah, I know about you. He tries to buy him off. He's like, oh, won't be bought off. Um, And he hooks up again with Brian Brown and his wife. They're still married. And she's like, uh, they're on a boat. And she's like, I'm worried about him, whatever. Then she tries to seduce Tom Cruise. And he's like, no, I can't do that. Then he goes back to Brian Brown's boat and he's killed himself. And we, I actually realized we will put a content warning on this about that. But and he, it was so wild. He touches the puddle of blood and then goes, oh, my gosh. I was like, what did you think it was? It was very, very, that scene was crazy. So he he goes to the funeral and that's when he decides he really needs to get Elizabeth's shoe back. And he's like, look, Doug is dead. I remember Leslie, he said that Leslie was like, why should she get him? She think, you know, but... But basically, they what does that walk- got to do with me? My Doug is dead. I'm sorry. Yes, it's a bad exactly. rap song. But I don't. It just and once again, it's that whole like '80s thing that like if the guy has suffered enough, it doesn't matter what he's done to you. You have to forgive him because he's I, sincere. I, I, that's what I what I think because they wind up together. She leaps. She walks away from her father's money, and and they and they wind up together, and then they get married, and then they're having twins. And I think that that's why, even though the the road there is rocky and um people like a good ending and they want to see Tom, they wanted to see Tom Cruise end up with the girl and the, and the girl from Karate Kid. That's what people wanted to see. Dennis, you lived in New York. Where, where do you think his uncle's bar was? My, my, I'm Staten Island or the Bronx. Yeah, I, it's you funny think? you say that. I, his uncle's bar to me sort of comes across as Queens. Yes. Yeah, yes. I would have I guessed so Queens. <clears throat> and he winds back up in Queens at his at his uncle's bar and then he launches Cocktails and Dreams which yes is still the stupidest name for a bar um, but it's just once again this understanding in the 80s that we had where it doesn't matter what you did if you come and you cry yeah. right if you come and, <laughs> and it's raining and the right amount and you're on your motorcycle or whatever that you have to forgive this guy and that 
it had been very well telegraphed. Once again, I'm imagining from the darker script that kind of some of the shades of it got through that he was not a good person, but that still the onus is on this poor pregnant woman to not only forgive him, but they make it so that scene, like I think we talked about it, where he comes to the house and there's a violent doorman who comes to the door and they're fighting. They're literally fighting and she's pregnant. And they're Sorry. like, I'm going to punch you. I'm going to punch you, whatever. And so she tries to leave. She goes, I'm leaving, Dad. I don't want this anymore. And the dad yells to the doorman of the entire building, stop her. And he grabs her. And I'm like, do you get paid enough to be grabbing people? And and that's the, and that's the actually like the big finale. Like that's the whole piece. The way that movie yes. ends is that fight. Like that's the you know how all these movies all have like the big action finale, whatever it yes. is. And in cocktail, that's it. It's that scene at the apartment building. It's not very dramatic. It's certainly not very climatic. But that's but no. that's how they ended that film, <laughs> which is again. A lot of flaws, but I agree with you, Leslie. So many flaws. There's, some, there's something about wish fulfillment in that film that I, I think yes. is partly why people get drawn to it. It's it's the good-looking people. It's this, you know, the nightlife, yeah. the excitement of the nightlife, the sex that comes with that, and the drinking. Right. And Brian Brown, he's good-looking, like you said earlier, and everybody, oh, everybody's attractive. You got this yeah, great music. You got the Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Like, there's just this whole like vibe that cocktail delivers and it's flawed it's a no doubt but like there's something very soothing and comforting as you watch it and i think that's why it was a you know a fairly decent sized hit in 1988 yeah. i i and as much as i complained about it as i watch it i will be watching it again I hope yeah. so. um probably after after we hang up i you will must. be watching it again so um dennis um at the end of this have we decided that this movie is cheesy or not and if it is do you care Oh, I think it's really cheesy, um, and I and I think what you've what we've what we've articulated quite clearly is that the movie's also very problematic for its time. I mean, it, you know, back then people kind of ignore it to what you said earlier, but I think now it, there's a lot of things that kind of stand out in a film like this that would not not get made today. But it's cheesy, but I don't apologize for enjoying it. Um, you know, you you guys gave me uh, free reign to choose whatever uh, movie I wanted to talk about, so thank you for giving me that opportunity. And I chose cocktail. I could have chosen anything. And I chose. Oh, it was delicious. No. And I'm going to watch. So Glenn, I'm going to. I cannot wait to watch it again. It, oh, this is going to be one of my. I will like, be watching it's it like again. Young Guns. Like you watch Young Guns and go, everything about this is terrible. And yet I'm going to pop some popcorn and have a glass of wine or five or a bottle. And um, and you guys didn't see. You don't go who are watching this. I left at some point because my wine delivery. Um, it was so perfect because we're talking about cocktail. My monthly wine delivery showed up during the the uh, recording of this podcast. That is amazing. So. I love that. that what, it was meant to what, be. Obviously, it was meant. It to was. Be. So, Dennis, where can people find you? Um, my, I'm, I'm, my podcast is available across all the major platforms. It's called Back by Popular Demand. Um, it's on Spotify and Apple Music and pretty much all the major spots. Um, my, my next episode is going to drop soon. I'm actually doing an episode that's very on topic here. Um, I'm doing good, bad movies. So, um, and that I will tell you has been a little bit stressful to think about because it's not that simple. Because, like, first of all, you need to sort of, you know, how do you define what a good bad movie is, which is whole other conversation. Right. And then it's like, it then is. what are what are the, like, you know, what are your favorite good bad movies? And there's so many ways you can go with that. So I'm still ironing out my list right now. I'm, I'll be done with it shortly, but like it's stressful. And you and you referenced Quicksilver earlier, which I cannot believe you referenced that because that's on my list. It and. Quicksilver and Roadhouse um, also 
Uh, one of the stars of this, uh, Kelly, what was her last name? Um, isn't that Kelly Lynch? Ke- Kelly yeah. Lynch. Lynch. Yes, Kelly Lynch. Kelly also Lynch. Yeah. in that, um, a good, bad movie where you go, this is the most terrible thing I've ever seen in my life. And also, I cannot I cannot stop watching Roadhouse. Ben Gazzara is like, I'm clearly here for the check. And it, it happened. So um, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for listening to us pontificate about a very bad movie that we love anyway. I'm going to watch again five times. Um, we will. So remember, uh, thanks for watching, for listening to Fine Beats and Cheeses. And keep it easy and breezy and cheesy. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Take care.